Amen. It is good to worship with you this morning. And as has been mentioned, my name is Josh Greiner, and I'm coming to you all the way from Lafayette, Indiana, which means if you do call me to be the next lead pastor, I will possess a very unique quality amongst the pastoral team. I'm not from Ohio. (laughs) There's been a fair bit of joking about that already. It's an honor to be considered not only for this position, but to preach and to share the Word of God with you this morning. I've had a chance to meet so many of you already at the question and answers yesterday. I look forward to spending time, as my family does as well, with many of you at Bear Lake Camp tonight as we uh, witness baptisms and just spend time together fellowshipping. Look forward to seeing you there. But this morning, right here, right now, as was mentioned, we're here to study the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5. And as you're doing that, let me ask you a question to consider this morning. Would you agree with me that building on a faithful and, and firm foundation is one of the most important things that any builder can do? When you think about the the home that you live in or the apartment that you're at right now, if the builder did not get the foundation right, would there be all sorts of problems with that structure? Up on the screen is a picture of an earthquake that recently struck Turkey. It was a 7.0 earthquake. And and what's most sad about this situation is about 20 years ago, a, a similar sized earthquake had struck the same country. And there was vows by those in charge that they were going to modernize construction. They they were going to ensure that when buildings were being built, that they were going to be built on a, a firm foundation. And when the next earthquake would come, those buildings, those structures, they would remain. But then 20 years later, another earthquake struck the country, and there there was a similar amount of destruction. There was a similar amount of loss of life. Whenever something like this happens, there's an investigation, and one of the investigators concluded this. This disaster was caused not by shoddy construction. This was caused by shoddy construction, not by an earthquake. It's a sober warning for sure. The earthquake was not the problem. There was nothing that could be done about the earthquake that was coming. It was those who had built the structures themselves, those who were in charge, they did not take the steps that was needed to ensure people were safe and structures were secure. The same could be said of the life of a church. If we're not careful in how we build on a church, then devastating results can ensue. This morning I speak to you as the candidate for the lead pastor here at Berean, and what I'd like to talk to you about, as has been mentioned already, is building on a faithful foundation. And now I know that here at Berean that you've been studying the book of Joshua and thinking a lot about the transition of your next lead pastor I've enjoyed, as my family has enjoyed, watching those services, hearing your study of the Word of the Lord in the book of Joshua, and I look forward to studying this morning what does it look like for a church family to build on a faithful foundation as we study in the book of 1 Corinthians. 
Before we get there, there are three at least introductory comments that I would like for us to look at that, that were the immediate context of the church at Corinth, not that they're the immediate context here at the Berean Baptist. In fact, it's in so many ways, it, it's the opposite of the context there. But I do believe that it's very important for us to look at the context of this particular book so that we can study this passage in that context. First is this, that there were divisions in the church. There were divisions in the church at Corinth. Paul puts it this way in verse 10 of the opening chapter. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. See, Paul had planted the church at Corinth, but Paul had left. And after he had left, the church began becoming divided. Churches being divided are as old as the church itself, but that doesn't mean that church division is a good sign at all. Unity is what Christ promised for his church, and we'll talk more about that later. And unity is even one of the things that we just celebrated. Christ came to bring unity with us and the Father and between one another. Second piece of context that I'd like us to see is that some liked Paul and others liked a man named Apollos. He goes on in the opening chapter, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Now, now we've all been there for sure. We have our favorite teacher, we have our favorite preacher, but at the church of Corinth, things had gotten out of hand, and now there was a genuine rift in the congregation. And we don't know all of the reasons that this rift had happened. Some believe that it was about the styles of preaching, some liking Apollos more, some liking Paul. Paul, elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told some people said that, that his preaching was weak, but his lever, letters were heavy. The point being that there were some that were dividing over small and, and trivial issues, and, and the camps had been staked, and the church had become divided. And through this mess, Paul was very purposeful in his shepherding care of the congregation. Even though the church might have been shooting arrows at him, Paul came very purposely, very intentionally. And he says this, And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That'll come up here in a little bit. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul saw a problem with the congregation. He was going to work to shepherd them. Now, that's the context of the passage that we're studying, or at least the relevant parts of the passage that we're going to be studying here this morning. What I'd like us to do as we read through this text and study it is to see three truths that we can remember in a growing church. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to follow along with me as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 5 all the way through verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the word of the Lord. The first truth that we see this morning in building on a faithful foundation is this, that we're called to value being a servant of God. Paul opens up his argument saying this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. The church had argued and even divided over a bunch of foolish things. And instead of Paul showing up, thumping his chest, saying, look, I'm the apostle Paul. Who are you talking about here? He doesn't try to prove that he's superior to Apollos. He looks through the church's sin and tries to show them that the true value is to be a servant of God. I think if we're all honest with ourselves for a moment, that when we think about great people, we often don't associate the word servant with them. Often in our world, and even in Paul's world, servants cared for the the great people. Great men were ones who were being served. That's not what the Bible pictures pictures at all. Uh, Do you remember when asked by the sons of Zebedee to sit at the right and left hand of Christ, how Jesus responded to them? He was trying to show them that this was not the way to become great in the kingdom of heaven. The way to greatness in the kingdom of heaven was to be a servant of God. They had the wrong view of leadership. Paul was trying to help them see that the right view was that we were to value being servants to one another. As my wife and I have gotten to know Berean Baptist, at least, at least from afar and at least in the ways that we've gotten to, what, what is really clear to us is that you, church family, are servants. You, you value being servants to and with one another. And it's really clear to us that you value that your pastors would be servant leaders. It's very clear that that is their heart. They're servant leaders. They value what it is that God values. We also see in our text that God is using different people in different ways. Paul says it this way, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, he's the one who gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. God had used Paul, as I mentioned, to, to plant the church, and then he would used Apollos to water it. But he wants them to see more and more that he's using the different people in different ways. Paul wasn't coming back to Corinth because he was looking for fame and success. He wasn't looking for the church to love him any more than Apollos. Rather, what he was trying to get the church to see is, hey, we are, we're, we're nothing. We're just servants, and God is using us in different and in unique ways. One thing that we should ask ourselves when we look at this text and see how Paul is answering this problem is, how could such humility come from him? How could Paul be okay with saying, look, look, I'm nothing, I'm just a a servant? And I think the answer to that is that sort of humility comes from a completely transformed life because of his interaction with the risen Savior. He had met Christ, and he had been transformed by Jesus, and that transformation led to him becoming a a humble and a different individual altogether. Point being, Paul wants us to see that, that God uses different people in very different ways, and we're called to value those servants. In commenting on this passage, Pastor John MacArthur helps us here. He says, we are but his servants. His instruments. If an artist is to be honored, you don't make a statue of the brush or his palette. It makes no more sense for Christians to glorify men, even a Paul or even an Apollos, who are only brushes or palettes in the master's hand. Such are to be esteemed and loved for their work, no doubt, but not to be revered or set apart against one another. How guilty are we all of doing this from time to time? Of exalting the brush over the painter? How often do we love to mention time and time again, look, well, look, I'm, I'm more of a Paul guy. I'm more of an Apollos kind of guy. A church, we must be a people that sees the calling for the believer is to be a servant. And to see that God uses those servants in all sorts of unique and different ways. There's nothing wrong at marveling at the work that has been done by Christ. There's great value in encouraging one another. That's not what I'm talking about, and that's certainly not what Paul is talking about. The problem was that the church in Corinth had become divided over the very servants Something more happening in the text, too, here that commentator Gordon Fee helps us see here. Notice this. Paul's concern, he says, is twofold. First, that they would recognize that the differences between Apollos and himself, which had become an occasion for strife, are in fact, what are they? They are Christ-appointed for their common good. He also wanted them to see that they focus not on the servants, but on the Lord himself, whose servants they are all to be. Dear brothers and sisters, to be honest, if I am called to be the lead pastor of Berean Church, I have no doubt that there will be times, and perhaps many times where you say, oh, I just loved it when Pastor Bill did it that way. 
Do you remember the way he used to do it? He did it so well. We know that that'll be true. But what I would say is as I see the faithful ministry of Pastor Bill and so many of the others who've been here at Berean for years, there's so much that is worthy to celebrate. There's so much to honor. But my hope would be that in those moments that if I'm called to be the lead pastor here at Berean, that you would see that those differences that would exist between us, those would be, in fact, Christ appointed for our common good. That he'd be doing something in you, then he'd be doing something in me to transform us to become more like Christ. There will be those days ahead. The question is, how will we respond to it? And the way that we're called to respond then is to celebrate God's work in the church. We've mentioned it a few times before because it runs through the passage so often. It is only God, only God, who gives the growth. If we're truly servants of God, we can see what he's done in the past and believe expectantly that he'll continue to do this in the future. But that is where the focus of our rejoicing should be. You know, in doing pastoral ministry for a number of years now, I've, I've had the opportunity to explain to people when they're asking, how did that happen? Like, how did this person change? How did this situation come about? How did you get to this positive place? Early in my pastoral career, I had a chance to disciple a young man, and we were about as opposite as they come. You've probably heard this saying, they're, they're as different as oil and water. Well, him and I were about as different as fire and water. And through our regular meetings, though they were challenging and sanctifying for both of us for sure, what became clear was this person's heart was changing. But it wasn't anything that I had specifically done. It was, it was God working in that person's heart. And so many of the things that we can see here, humanly speaking, there has been great labors that have been done beyond the half of you and the staff but let us celebrate that it is God who is doing the work in the church. Zechariah 4, 6 reminds us, it's not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's been clear to me and it's been clear to my family that God has been working in and through this church. Uh, we want to give special honor to those who it is due, but we also want to know and remember and to celebrate that God is the one who deserves the glory, great things that he has done. The second thing our text helps us see this morning is that we're to recognize that, that we all, all of us, we are building something. The text says it in two different ways, verses 9 and 10. For, for we are God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you're God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like the skilled or wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Each and every person here, each and every person in churches around the United States and around the world, all of us are building. And I'm not talking about the capital campaign. When we heard about the capital campaign, we were very excited for this building project. We're very supportive of it. But, but that's not what we're talking about here when we say that we're building something. 
we're building something in the kingdom of Christ. And the question that we should be asking ourselves is, how am I building? What is the effect of my labor? The text helps us see this morning that we need to be careful how we build. We need to be careful not to build like the world. There is a temptation in our age to build like the world builds. There's many who are tempted to do that. It could be, for example, a temptation to, to water down the pure gospel message or not to proclaim that gospel message as loud. There could be a temptation to be silent on key issues of our day. There could be the temptation to make Sunday morning look more like a rock concert and less about an experience of encountering a holy God. We could sub out the study of God's timeless and eternal word for a guy up here telling funny stories and jokes all to make you laugh. You will figure out very quick, I am not that funny. The church, no doubt, could marry the world today. And in doing something, it could build what it believes is something marvelous and beautiful. The problem is if the church marries the world today, it will become a widow in the next. Paul mentions that he has decided to lay the foundation as a wise builder. In Greek culture, this, this was an intentional illusion. Gordon Fee again saying, by laying the foundation that he did, Jesus Christ and him crucified, he, Paul, was truly the wise builder in contrast to the wise persons in Corinth. You're probably familiar with the Greeks and their love of earthly wisdom. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it talks about they, had, they wanted to have their ears tickled. They wanted to do things in a way that made sense to the world. And for some, that might have even been the attractiveness of Apollos. Not that he had done anything wrong, but they just liked so much about what Apollos did, and, and they found his style more compelling or what it is that he did. But that, that, that must be something that we're careful of. We do not want to build the way the world is building. Fee goes on to say it this way, it's unfortunately possible for people to attempt to build the church out of every imaginable human system predicated on merely worldly wisdom, be it philosophy, pop psychology, managerial techniques, relational good feelings, or what have you. But at the final judgment, all such building and perhaps countless other forms where systems have become more important than the gospel itself will be shown for what it is, something merely human with no character of Christ or the gospel in it. Often, of course, the test comes this side of the final one, and in such an hour of stress, that which has been built of modern forms of Sophia, wisdom usually comes tumbling down. As my wife and I have gotten to know Berean, what is so clear to, to us is that this church family is not trying to build the way the world tells us to build. This church is trying to build the way Paul did as a, a wise master builder. And it's clear from those who've gone before me that there, there is a true heritage to, to building, not in the way that the world does that. 
That doesn't mean that the, the church will not have to change in certain areas or, or adapt in others. For example, I bet you if you went to the church at Corinth, they did not have an action day camp. That did not exist back then. It's a great example of using programs and techniques to, to reach the community and, and to proclaim the timeless and eternal word of Christ to build on that foundation that has been faithfully laid before us. But the moment, church, that we use the world's wisdom to build and to grow, we will be in trouble. We need to be careful to do that, not only covertly in the ways that we've been discussing, but make sure that it doesn't unintentionally slip into the church as well. What we need to be careful to do, then, is to build on the faithful foundation of the gospel. Paul says it this way, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, building on the foundation means using and building on the essential aspects of Christianity and staying true to that mission. Everything in the church needs to be evaluated in that light. Paul uses this building metaphor, and we can continue to use it here for a moment. Imagine if you were going to add an addition onto your house. And instead of using concrete or some other firm foundation material, you were going to use something like sand. It was cheap. It was easy. The materials were all around for you to build on. Well, when the storms of life come for your house that new addition will be destroyed and possibly even damage the parts of the house that were built that were firm already. Church, we dare not build on another foundation other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my commitment to you is that if I'm called to be the, the next pastor of Berea, and that, that we t intend to, I intend to build on the, the foundation of the gospel and on the foundation of the gospel alone. We also see in the text that unity around the gospel should be prized. Now Paul mentions that it's he who plants and he who waters, they are one. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Talked about it already this morning. We even got to celebrate a little bit of it by partaking of the Lord's table. Christ had promised to build this church and to give it unity. Uh, but our job was to guard that unity. As I look at this church family here, and as we've spent time getting to know many of you, it's really clear to me that the, there is a great unity in this church already. That unity should be prized. That unity should be celebrated, and that unity should, unity should be guarded. I believe very firmly that there, there is nothing that Satan would love to do more than, than during this time of transition to sow discord in this church the way that he had done at the church at Corinth. So let us be careful not to be lured and enticed away to build in other ways and to be careful to guard that unity. Let me offer two possible suggestions for application this morning when it comes to the idea of preserving and protecting our unity. 
The first is to ask yourself, are there any of the ways that I'm speaking or the things that I'm doing that need to change? A meaning, as I mentioned before, is there something that you're saying that, that is tearing down, that, that is destroying? So many of us would not say that we're trying to do that, but often the effect of our words is the destruction of the unity. How many times this week have you grumbled or complained? How many times have you just said to someone, look, I just need to share something with you. Look, I just got to get it off my chest. I don't think that we'd say in those moments that we're trying to destroy the unity that we have here. But the scary reality is there are plenty of times where our words and our actions place the unity of the church in jeopardy. And I encourage you that if you find yourself tempted in those situations, just to share for a moment, just to grumble for a moment, that you would choose not to do that. The second way I think that we can do that this morning is is to seek ways to build unity in the church. It's really clear that there is a prohibition for, for tearing down the church, but we also should be looking for ways, how do I build the church up in its unity? An easy way to do that is to seek to encourage one another. Now, for example, when is the last time that you encouraged those who were leading worship? Encourage those serving in tech. Those served who teach the classes that our children attend or, or the class that you attend. By doing those kind of activities, by using your words of encouragement, then the reality is that you can actually help build the unity of this body up. And that's part of the truth that we should see if we want to build on a faithful foundation. The third main point from our text here this morning then is that we're called to remember that one day all of our labor, it's going to be evaluated. Paul says it this way, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. We're all building, as I mentioned, and and the text highlights two types of building materials, uh, those that last and those that don't. Now, now if you're an engineer and you're thinking, look, you can't build a house with just gold. It will collapse in on itself. Just remember, it's a metaphor. Christ's trying to illustrate things that will last through the fire. Things like wood, hay, and straw, those things will not last in the judgment of the fire. And as we're doing this, and remembering that one day our labor should be evaluated, one of the important focuses that we need to remember in all of this is that that we need to have the focus on the ways that we're building, and we don't need to worry about the ways in which other people are building. It becomes very easy to look around and compare ourselves to others. Again, Pastor John MacArthur says it this way, only the Lord can determine which works are high quality and which are low. It's not the believer's role to grade Christians and the work that they do. The point that Paul is making is that our purpose should always be to serve the Lord with, his be- with the best he has given us and with the full dependence on him. He alone, that is the Lord, determines the ultimate value of each 
man's work. Our job, church, is not to look around and to see what others are doing. And have a, a smug view of the way in which we're doing our building. Our job is to keep our eyes focused on the mission. And not to veer to the right or, or to the left, knowing that one day there will be a judgment. And in that judgment, what is bad will be consumed. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want to hear that so much of my work was burned up. I have no doubt that each one of us at some point will have built on something that that is going to be burned up. But the question is, will that, will that be a little or will that be a majority of what we have been building upon? What I hope to see, what I hope for all of us to see is that the good that we have been building on, that it will remain and it will be rewarded. Each one of us will receive his wages according to his labor. Or at the end of the passage, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. I don't know if you've ever considered for a moment that so many of the things that you're building upon, they will remain and that you will receive a reward one day from the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning many of the activities that we do here that that are tied to the firm foundation in the gospel, those things will last. For instance, and I know I don't have a number of examples, but I've only been getting to know the church for a little while, and it's the one that I've seen the most of. What you guys were doing in Action Day Camp, that will last. When you're sharing the gospel and teaching children the the good news of Jesus Christ and helping them become faithful followers, that sort of building, that will last. Or when you're serving your brothers and sisters in Christ who who are in need. We just mentioned the benevolence fund. Those sorts of activities, those will last. When you wake up in the morning and study God's Word, in the morning when God's people study God's Word, that will last. When you hide God's Word in your heart and memorize it, that will last. When you share the gospel with your family and friends who don't know the Lord, when you do that even at work and you take a stand, dear brothers and sisters, that will last and it will remain and and you will be rewarded. There's a lot of debate about what are heavenly rewards. There's not a lot of consensus, but there's a whole lot of debate. And I'll be honest, I don't know what they are, but I can tell you this, that when I get to heaven, I want more rewards instead of less rewards. And so then, if we're to build and to have our things remain and to be rewarded, how do we know that it will remain and be rewarded? Uh, let me give you three things that I think will help us see that. Number one, it's our, con- our motives. Number two, our conduct. And number three, our service. When you think about the, the reasons that you do, the actual activities and, and the goal of it being a service, those are ways that we can know what we're building will remain. 
Meaning if you're here serving on Sunday morning because you're just looking for the praise of man, then that will not remain. If you obey God's word so that you can ultimately get the thing that you want, then that will not remain. If you're serving others so that you can just get something out of this deal, then that will not remain. But when our motives are pure and we're trying to be pleasing to Christ and our activities line up with the Word of God and we're trying to serve God and to serve others, then what we are building on, those things, they will remain. Lastly then, our text reminds us that none of this has to do with our salvation. Though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. Brothers, Paul is being very clear that this building has nothing to do with our salvation. Commentator Anthony Thistleton says it this way, Every Christian service, seriously flawed by self-interest, cannot imperil the Christian believer's salvation. What a great and a wondrous reminder for us that with all of our flaws, with all of the times that we have built with wood, hay, and straw, that is not going to ruin our salvation. Because our salvation, as we've mentioned before, as we just celebrated, is by grace alone. It's by faith alone. It is by Christ alone that you and I are saved. And it's by those things alone. Not that if we built on a foundation for a certain amount of time and and we built a certain type of thing, then we will be saved. Not that there is some sort of way that in our own activities that, that we ourselves can fireproof our salvation. It is by the blood of the Lamb that we are all saved. Which means that there might even be people here today, here in this very room, who do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior. We've been talking this morning about being careful how to build. How to build on the faithful foundation of the gospel. And I've been talking to you about how I believe this church should continue to to build on the faithful foundation that has been laid by those who have gone before But there might be people even in this room who do not yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior. If there's never been a time in your life, friend, when you've not trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to satisfy God's wrath and to cleanse you from unrighteousness, to save you from your sins, then today would be a really good day to do that. I know I speak for the pastors and I speak for myself here. We would love the opportunity today or any other day to sit down with you and to share the good news of Christ and how he can be your Lord and Savior. Believing friend, I hope that you can see that as we consider building on the faithful foundation, that does not have to do with our salvation. It has everything to do with being pleasing to Christ. I hope that we would be a congregation that values being servants. We're servants of the King. Even as there are differences between us, we can see that it's God who causes the growth. So let us be a congregation that's careful how we build. To not build in the ways of the world, 
but to build the ways that the scriptures talk about, to build on the faithful foundation that has already been laid. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning. We offer you thanks. I thank you for your word and its sufficiency and its power and how it helps guide us and show us the ways in which we need to build. Father, I thank you for those who have gone before and have laid and have built upon the firm foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we go from here, that you would give us clarity and wisdom to do the same. Father, we thank you for Christ's death on the cross that has secured our salvation And I pray that as we go from here, that you would be glorified as we seek to live lives that are pleasing to you. We ask this in your son's most precious and holy name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.